0: Theology of the Body Institute. This is
1: the Ask Christopher West podcast. Hi, podcast listeners.
0: Welcome everyone to another episode. We're happy to be with you as always.
1: Yes, we are.
0: Did you hear that whistle in my little... Uh I said as always and it whistled. (laughs) You can whistle while you work.
1: I don't know if all our listeners know how much I love your whistling. Oh. You are such a good whistler. Well,
0: thank you. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a side. I think we
0: did have an episode where we talked about we my did. whistling. We did. But I'm that just was saying, way back when. It was when. so
1: long ago. Many people haven't heard that. Ugh, oh, yields. We did. Uh Recently, you had another trip.
0: Yes, I'm not doing many these days, but I went to Steubenville, Ohio and spoke at Franciscan University last week uh, on this recording, um, meaning a week ago from the time we're recording this. I gotcha. You got me. Just wanted to see if the listeners were paying attention. (laughs) And I hadn't been to campus, gosh, for five or six years, Mm -hmm. but I had an experience that was a little shocking to me. Yes. So a student came up to me, uh, and I know her parents well, and I know her fairly well. I mean, I visited her parents uh, when she was younger. But anyway, here's the point. <laughs> her parents came to a talk I gave at Franciscan University when they were students, when they were dating. And my talk really helped them and inspired them. And, and uh, I think it was played some role anyway in them getting married. And now... I'm giving a talk at Franciscan University and their daughter is in the audience, which just made me feel old. (laughs) I couldn't believe that I've been doing this that long, that the offspring of someone who came to it. Wait, did I say that right? The offspring of a couple who had been at my talk 20 whatever years ago. Now the offspring is at my talk at the same university. I felt old because in my mind, that talk. That her parents came to was like five years ago. That's just the way my brain works. I can't calculate the passage of time.
1: It's true. It's an ongoing struggle.
0: It is an ongoing struggle.
1: (laughs) But then every now and then it gets presented to you in a dramatic fashion. And And there it is. And I, I
0: have to wrestle with the fact that I'm in my 50s and I've been doing this for 25 years. You know
1: what you experienced, though, is something I just love about being the age we are, is knowing people who had children, whose children have grown up like the incredible experience of seeing life developing over time such a gift
0: including our own children of course we have children in their 20s that's right because yeah i i don't know how, i don't know how to process that pray for me everybody out there that i embrace aging <laughs> i'm struggling well, praise t- god for aging if the resurrection is real then full speed ahead that's where i want to go that's right. this train is bound for glory this train
1: Amen. So tell me what's going on with the TOB Institute. Okay,
0: so we have some exciting things going on at the Institute. We have three summer courses in person. We have COVID restrictions in place, so we only have half capacity at our retreat center. So if you're interested, I would sign up ASAP. You can check out the course schedule in the show notes. We have the TOB 1, which I'm pretty sure is already sold out. That's at the end of June. Then we have the sexual ethics course in July, uh, and then we are doing Theology of the Body and the New Evangelization in August, and we are rebranding that. It used to be called Theology of the Body Level 3, mm-hmm. the New Evangelization. Now we are just calling it Theology of the Body and the New Evangelization. It used to be that you had to have the prerequisite of Level 1 and Level 2 mm-hmm. to take the Level 3. We're not calling it the Level 3 anymore because the only prerequisite you need is the level one. So everybody out there, if you've already taken the Theology of the Body level one course, and you want to go deeper and see how Theology of the Body applies to the whole of our faith in this Theology of the Body and the New Evangelization course, what we do is we put those TOB glasses on. That's why we want everybody to have taken at least Theology of the Body level one, and then we just go through the catechism from cover to cover and we see how the faith comes alive. It's one of my favorite courses to teach. Uh, we go through each of the four pillars of the catechism. The fourth pillar of the catechism is the life of prayer, and this is one of—if if the level three course is my, one of my favorite courses to teach, the fourth pillar of the catechism is my favorite within the favorite, because we see what prayer really is. It's not just this rote repetition of things we learned as children which is fine and good you know that those are beautiful prayers the our father the hail mary the glory be all fine and good but we're called to so much more saint john paul ii says prayer is where we encounter the abyss of the human heart and we find the abyss of god that can fill it mm. and i see this before my very eyes with my students when we get to this section of the catechism when when we enter into the mystery of prayer. And uh, Pope Benedict XVI says, when the Christian prays, he seeks nuptial union with the Lord. To enter into those nuptials is a profound mystery. And uh, one of the most rewarding things as a teacher is to see my students really going for it. Anyway, I'm ranting now, but I, I rant because I'm excited about these things. I have the greatest job in the world. I get to bring people into the banquet. It's just a joy.
1: Mm. So glad. I'm so happy about your
0: work. Thank you. Was there something else I was going to say?
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Right. Oh, we had the virtual conference, but upon this recording, it hasn't happened yet, but upon your listening, it already has happened. So I'm sure it was awesome. For, For all I know, the server went down and then the whole thing imploded, but probably not. It probably was awesome. You're, if you're listening and you don't know what I'm talking about, please click the link in the show notes, the TOB virtual conference link. The talks are still available. We had over 80 talks from awesome people. There were four different tracks. There was the beginner's track. There was the St. Joseph track in honor of the year of St. Joseph. There was a track for clergy and religious, and there was a Spanish track for Spanish speakers. So check out that link. Those are still available. It's not available for free anymore. It was only free when it was live over the weekend. Um, Now there is a a fee, but that fee—you can be very happy about this—goes to support— the work we do here at the TOB Institute. So check out that link and dive into all those awesome presentations. Ted Sree, Jackie Francois, uh, Jen Settle, Bill Donahue, Scott Hahn, Damon Owens, yours truly, and uh, yeah, over 80 presenters, uh, all of which uh, I, I've watched some of the talks in advance and they, they did a bang up job, the ones that I've already seen. So yeah, check that link out. Yeah. You will not regret it.
1: Awesome. Shall we go with a question?
0: Let's go. This is our patron question, right?
1: It is. It is.
0: Everybody out there knows, if you're a listener, faithful listener, you know that our first question comes from one of our patrons. We cannot do the work we do here at the Institute without the faithful support of our patrons. So who has asked a question from our patron, patron community? This
1: patron is anonymous.
0: Anonymous. Thank you, anonymous patron, whoever you are. Yes. Thank you so much for the support you offer us, and we offer our patrons lots of goodies free on—not free, because you're paying a monthly little gift to us, but as a patron, you get ongoing formation and support in living the theology of the body. Lots of great stuff. Check that out.
1: Uh, Our anonymous patron says, Hi, Christopher and Wendy. I've been listening to your podcast for a little over a year. I grew up, thankfully— with a very wholesome understanding of sexuality. What
0: a gift, and how rare that is. Wow.
1: Listen to what he says. I know that is rare.
0: How do you know it's a he? Uh,
1: Just keep listening. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Despite the best efforts of my parents, though, there were many needs in my heart for love and understanding, beauty and respect that went unmet. As I matured, these, quote, holes in my heart made me very vulnerable to the desires of women my age who saw me as an opportunity to have their, quote, needs met. Yes. There is a lot said in Christian circles about the lusts of men, but very little about the ways women use men. So I think I was unprepared for this. Mm. Over time, I began using these women back in different ways and eventually lost my resolve to save myself for marriage. Now I feel so sick. I'm exposing these wounds and needs to the Blessed Mother in prayer. But still... Every time thoughts of sexuality come to my mind, I feel a twisting in my stomach. Instead of the awe and wonder I had oh, when I was wow. much younger, wow, wow. What do I do? I feel like I've been compromised in the worst way.
0: Wow, what a beautiful open heart. Really, this the, this man's healing is already underway, and I'm I'm going to venture a guess here that he is a younger man. Uh, not an old-timer like you and me, Wendy, as we were saying, <laughs> we are aging. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that because it, it, it reminds me, the tone of his question and the, the content of his question reminds me of things our own sons in their 20s have told us, that the world they went off to college in, uh, even at good Catholic schools, was very different than the world you and I went off to college in mm-hmm. back in the, in the 80s. And there is an aggression even coming from females towards males in today's world that it was not non-existent when I was in college, but it was not as prevalent as it is today, at least as I'm coming to understand it from those who are in the college scene and in the dating scene. There, there, there is an aggression on the part of women for sexual activity that was just was not there at the same degree in my day. Mm. So I'm guessing that he's of a younger generation than we are and is probably experiencing that. Uh, I want to just hold out to him the hope that I want to hold out to the whole world that regardless of how deep our wounds go, the cross of Christ goes deeper. This is our hope. John Paul II says in so many ways and on so many occasions in his Theology of the Body, there is always the possibility of conversion from unchastity to chastity. Always. Nothing is hopeless. And I already see that that work of the Holy Spirit is truly present here in this man's life because he wouldn't be asking the question otherwise. Uh, with all, or speaking in all truth, and with realism, we have to acknowledge that that journey of healing is long, it is painful, it is difficult, and that reflects truly how serious uh, the the nature of our sexuality is. It's, and I say serious, not not to be a a, a heavy or a downer, but to acknowledge that sexuality is as Scripture says, it is a profound mystery. It is a tremendous good, perhaps the greatest good on the natural level that God has given us is the union of man and woman. And the greatest goods, when they get twisted, become, in proportion to how good they can be, they become proportionately disruptive and damaging in our lives when we misuse those great gifts. So I'm just tr- I'm trying to be honest and realistic about how deep these wounds go. And the wounds go deep precisely because of the heights to which sexuality is meant to take us. Sexual behavior, sexual union of a husband and wife is meant to lead us to the very heights of joy and intimacy with the Lord, with the things of heaven and with the things of earth, and the marriage between heaven and earth, we are meant to enter into the heights in God's plan. That's why the enemy is after our sexuality. So, my brother, I say to you, do not fear. Precisely for this, Christ has died and risen. For you, my brother, mm-hmm. he bore in his body your wounds, your sins, the distortions you have experienced, he has borne them for you. And more than that, I want to say this. He was very insightful in recognizing what led him into these temptations. I agree. Yeah. His own need, his own yearning for for love. For how did he say it, Wendy?
1: There were many needs in my heart for love and understanding, beauty and respect.
0: Yeah, that's the acknowledgement that. Whenever we sin, we're looking for something good, but we miss the mark. That's what Thomas Aquinas says about sin. We're looking for something good, but we miss the mark. He's acknowledging there, he's acknowledging there the, the good he was looking for. He's looking for love. He was looking for understanding. He was looking for affirmation. And I would say to you, My, my brother, my good brother, your path to healing will come by opening those very same needs that you took to these illicit sexual relationships. The healing will come as you open those very same needs to the Lord, to put them out, to open them up. And you've already said, "He, how did he put it, Wendy? He's already turning to the Blessed Mother, but he said it in a specific way.
1: I'm exposing these wounds. There it is.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm exposing these wounds. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: And needs to the blessed. There it is,
0: brother. You are already on the journey. The most beautiful woman in the world, the most beautiful woman God has ever created desires you, brother. (laughs) She desires to show you the, the mystery, the beauty, the goodness of her femininity. She desires to show you that her femininity brought God to the world. Gave flesh to the second person of the Trinity. I'm utterly convinced by, by my own experience of looking deeply and ever more deeply into my own sexual desires, my own attraction to the mystery of woman, my own experience as a husband, my own experience loving you, Wendy, and why I'm so attracted to you, Wendy. And why, after 25 years of marriage, I am more attracted to you and your feminine mystery than I ever have been in my whole life. Why does it keep getting deeper? Because the mystery of woman is precisely this what we are attracted to, what we are yearning for, what we long for is the living God. And the living God comes to us. I think we intuit this. I think we know this deep in our bones because we're made in the image and likeness of God. And we are made for this, we are made for the incarnation. We are made for this encounter with the living God in the flesh, and that encounter is made possible by woman. Woman's womb has become, if Christmas is real, woman's womb has become the dwelling place of the Most High God. Woman's womb, and and let's just say it this way, woman's body has become the touch point of heaven and earth. It is where God took flesh. That's what you were looking for the whole time, my good brother, in the mystery of woman, in the beauty of woman. You were looking for what she has to offer, and what she has to offer is nothing short of the mystery of God taking flesh. Every woman shares in that dignity, and in as much as every woman does, every woman leads us to marry. So you're already on the path. True devotion to the Blessed Mother is key. Mm. And I would I would say this. We often pietize devotion to Mary, and by that I mean we we kind of make it this hyper-pious, disincarnate thing. Mary is a real woman of flesh and blood, and she is the first creature who learned whole and entire in this fallen world how to open her yearning for God to God. She knows the fullness of what eros is meant to be. She knows the fullness of God's plan for sexuality. Her virginity is not a negation of God's plan for sexuality. It is the living out of the ultimate purpose and meaning of sexuality, which is union with God and giving flesh to God. So she can teach you, brother. She can teach you what you're really looking for. True devotion to Mary means just what you're already doing, opening really and truly what you're experiencing, what your longings are, opening them to her. I remember, I'll share this one experience, and then I've sp- already said too much, Wendy, so I'm, I'm eager to hear what you have to say, and I know our listeners are too, since you're the real star of the show. Um, but here's one one experience I want to share just to try to make this a little more practical. I've, I've given a lot of theological ideas here, but let's make it practical. I remember... Uh, this must have been 10, 15 years ago. I was revisiting some of my sexual brokenness from my teenage years because I was in need of a deeper healing. And I had a memory, a very pointed memory of of sexual sin. And kind of unbeknownst to me, like I wasn't like trying to conjure this up, but, but just right into the memory appeared Joseph and Mary. And I was startled by it because I knew I was sinning and here are these two great saints and the Immaculate One and the most chaste spouse of the Blessed Virgin. And I had this kind of hyper-pious idea, I guess, that they couldn't handle my sin or it was like, no way, go away, I'm too ashamed. And then in the vision, in the image, Joseph just pointed at the womb of Mary As if to say, and I knew what it all meant in my heart, he was saying, put it all here. Put it all here. Put it in the womb of Mary. What? Put what there? Put your sin there. Put it right I'm like, no, 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 no. That's the Immaculate One. No way. And then Mary kind of entered the conversation, and she said, well, where do you take your sin? And I was like, well, to the confessional. Okay, well, who's in the confessional, she said. And I said, okay, I know my theology in Persona Christi, the priest is in Persona Christi, that's Jesus. And she said, well, who do you thinks in my womb? My womb, she said, is the confessional. This is where redemption happens because Christ is within me. Bring it all here. So this has become a practice of mine. I just say it to myself in my own prayer life and my own prayer experience, I'm taking it to the confessional of Mary's womb. I'm taking it to the confessional of Mary's womb. So brother, in your own way, I I just invite you, as you're already doing, open it up to Mary. Take what you're experiencing, take your temptations, take your memories, just as they are, open them up as you've experienced these falls. Open them up, the memories, the temptations, whatever they might be, open them up and place them in the womb of the Virgin where the fire of God dwells, the purifying fire of God, the healing fire of God, the redeeming fire of God. And let that fire purify those memories. Let that fire show you what you were looking for all along. Mm.
1: So excellent. And I know that you, Christopher, are an inspiration to so many listeners, because you also have a history of falls in this area from, as you were talking about in your answer there, and the Lord has given you this profound and beautiful and uplifting vision and faith in, so that, that's such a sign of hope right there, just your person is a sign of hope. And I did have a few things I wanted to share with um, this listener, just based on actually things I've learned from you that you've shared, um, one thought I had was that sometimes it, you have written to people that you have sinned with, and not necessarily that to actually give that letter right. to the person, but just to acknowledge the the more detailed aspects of, you know, the the dynamics that led you both astray and to kind of express, like the redeemed version. Yes. What what could it have been, you know, if it had all remained open to the Lord and that um just expressing your masculine gift in its fullness um in writing can just be a very healing way of looking back at a memory that's painful and uh, inviting the Holy Spirit in and you know reliving it in a sense but in grace. In
0: grace. That's a very good point. And it, it, just to acknowledge, it, it may not be appropriate to to actually send such a letter to a person. Uh, you know, it may not be appropriate. It may, it may actually be appropriate depending on your state in life and that other person's state in life. But to write it out, I, I write it out, these letters in my prayer journal, mm-hmm. has been very fruitful for me. It, it untwists right. the memory and sets it right. And it's incredibly purifying and healing. Mm
1: -hmm. And then the other thought I had was, there may be uh, younger men in your life that you might feel inspired to give some advice to, you know, some of what you felt was lacking in your preparation for men and women's relationships, maybe that the Lord will place people in your life who can benefit from what you've learned. And that's also incredibly healing. So just to have an openness to whether the Lord is calling you to, you know, to allow him to minister to others, to prepare them and strengthen them um, through your sufferings. So those were just the two other thoughts I have.
0: I have one final thing I want to say, and we'll go on to our next question. It's the call to stay in the ache. What do I mean by that? We all have this longing for, for union, for love, for affirmation. And ultimately, only the Lord can really satisfy that. And when we sin, we are taking that satisfaction into our own hands. The best the sexual relationship can be is a glimmer of that ultimate satisfaction, a sacrament of that ultimate satisfaction. That's what marriage is supposed to be. But even in marriage, you learn that the, the other cannot really reach the deepest place of your heart where where God and God alone can can be that fulfillment. In this life, we live that fulfillment by faith, and that means learning how to stay in the ache and entrust the ache to the promise of the Lord. Here's something I say often to myself. It's a one of my favorite quotes from Scripture. I can't remember the chapter and verse. It's in the Psalms somewhere, but it's just, I treasure your promise in my heart, Lord, lest I sin against you. Mm. "'I treasure your promises in my heart, Lord, lest I sin against you.'" What is his promise? That that ache will not go unsatisfied. He doesn't promise he's going to satisfy it in this life. In fact, he tells us it won't be satisfied in this life. John Paul II says, "'In this life, eros is ever-seeking but never satisfied.'" Prayer is learning how to open that eros to the promises of the Lord trusting in the promises of the Lord. If we don't learn how to do that, we will sin against the Lord. We will take that ache somewhere that is a misguided attempt to satisfy it. That's what sin is, missing the mark, right? Stay in the ache and learn how to entrust it to the Lord. And the Lord, in His graciousness, He does in this life give us little tastes. He really does give us hope. He doesn't just leave us in that ache forever. He does Give us those little tastes that that fire that hope that in the end, the yearning I have will not go unsatisfied. I treasure your promises in my heart, Lord, lest I sin against you. Mm, amen.
1: Our next question is from Joseph.
0: He's, Hello, Joseph.
1: He says, Christopher, I know you've told this story a lot, but here's the deal. My female best friend is attracted to me. Honestly, she is smart, very beautiful, very, very funny, and I know I can count on her anytime. She's simply the best, but I just can't see her as anything more than a friend right now. Christopher and Wendy, I want what you have, and I really want the best for her, but I don't know if I'm the best for her. Christopher, how did you turn your friendship with Wendy into romantic love?
0: Wow. Well, that would take a long response to give it justice. It was, it was an, an ongoing change. I remember when you called me on the phone in the fall of 1994, mm-hmm. and we had been friends at that point for two and a half, maybe three years or so, and I was so happy to hear from you because I was going through a really hard time mm-hmm. and I trusted you and I knew I could share myself with you and we started talking on the phone on a regular basis and over the next six months or so I was enjoying our friendship so much it became it became gradually something more and I I had to look at my own, uh, obstacles i had been interested in somebody else as you'll remember at the time and i hadn't previously thought of our relationship in romantic terms and yet i knew there was something growing and something building and that there was the potential for our relationship to become something more and i would say our friendship was the greatest asset to our relationship becoming something more mm-hmm. And I'm I'm guessing that what Joseph is really getting at is there's probably some lack of what you know we hear in the culture some that spark or mm-hmm. that that erotic charge that mm-hmm. that we're looking for. And I would say, my brother, I I don't want to I don't want to discount that that spark or that erotic charge. I don't want to I don't want to say that it's entirely misguided or entirely off or entirely a wrong notion, but I do want to say that the way the culture forms us to think uh, will, will take us down a path that leads to destruction, despair, disillusionment, pain, sorrow, I would say the foundation the foundation of friendship is a much more solid foundation than the foundation of some charge or spark. <laughs> and that charge and that spark came as I rested more deeply on the foundation of our friendship. It did come, mm-hmm. but it wasn't what started. What started was our friendship. Mm-hmm. And then it, it went from there. And do you, go do ahead. You remember
1: you read something in um, Love and Responsibility that kind of captured that reality for you. I remember you, like, I, I think you left it on a voicemail or something for me, like, this is what's happening. Jump all two talked about this. And kind I of... do remember
0: that voicemail. I can't remember the specific passage, though, from Love and Responsibility, but I do yeah. remember very excitedly yeah. leaving that voicemail because. Uh, it, it was such a—it was John—and this was the gift of John Paul II to me, and always has been and remains the gift of him to me. He puts in words my own experiences. Mm-hmm. And if, if I can try to remember what I think it was, was he was saying that the, the, the true foundation for lasting love is the dignity of the person. Mm. And, and the, the, uh, the romantic spark, that uh, ignition— is the raw material of love. It can lead to love, but it is not love itself. Mm-hmm. And indeed, that spark comes and goes and fades and changes, And but the dignity of the person never changes. The dignity of the person, building relationship on the dignity of the person is what enables the relationship to last. And there's no doubt in my mind that that has been our experience in 25 plus years of married life, that Knowing and seeing and feeling and experiencing the true dignity of your person, Wendy, is what inspires my love. And that might not be this flash fire, mm-hmm. but it's a slow burn that that lasts. Mm. And that is that is much more rich, much more beautiful, much more lasting. Then that spark, that flash fire, eroticism. Um, I hope. I hope Joseph, what I'm saying is is helping. I don't know if it is.
1: Yes, and I really. I I think it probably is, and it's just our honest story, which is what he asked for. But I just encourage you really to pray with an open heart for God's will for your life and God's will for her life, and really to ask Him to increase your desire. For His will, and just that may not be have an immediate result, but it orients your heart towards something so beautiful that kind of makes other things fall away. And even if, as you said, you don't, you discern that you're not the one for her, like if the Lord can reveal that to you both, you know, I really encourage you to pray that as well. His will for your life is beautiful. And the gifts he's given you through this friendship are beautiful. Allow him to just show you more what he's up to.
0: That's a good point. And I want to build on that just quickly. You said show to show him more. Mm -hmm. That is a great prayer. Lord, show me more. Show me how you see her. Mm -hmm. Show me where I'm blind to, to how beautiful she is and how attractive she is. I remember a time in our relationship where I was praying, just, Lord, open my eyes that I would see Wendy as you see Wendy. And it was the day of our first kiss. And I felt like, I felt like scales fell off my eyes and the glory of heaven was beaming out of your eyeballs and out (laughs) of your cheeks and out of the tips of your hair. And I was absolutely smitten in a way I I hadn't seen before. Mm. And that, that was not a spark. That was, a, that, was, a, that, was that igniting of a, a slow-burning fire that, that has not died. I've, I've had to go deeper into it. Uh, whenever we pray, Lord, open my eyes, it's a double-edged sword. Because when you start to see something you hadn't seen, you rejoice in what you're seeing that you hadn't seen, but then you feel the pain of your blindness. But that's just the human condition. We are blind, who the other really is so often. And it's a great, great prayer, Joseph, just say, Lord, open my eyes to see this woman as you see this woman. Put your love for her in my heart. And if I'm called to be her husband, then show me that, open the way to it. I would say this, you have in your friendship the best foundation on which to build a lasting marriage pray if there's something lacking there that you're feeling just say lord open my eyes to it if there's something i'm not seeing open my eyes to it mm. those are my thoughts go for it joseph be not afraid the <laughs> lord has a plan to prosper you to give you hope in a future i'm so glad i married you wendy I, if i had <laughs> if i had stayed in my blindness i would i would i would not have known the joys i've known with you The life I've known with you is such a treasure. Thank you, God. Anyway, that's all I have to say about that for now.
1: (laughs) This question is from an anonymous listener. My wife and I have been married for over 30 years. As we've gotten older, we've had to adjust our physical relationship because of health issues. I know this is a sensitive question, but I'm wondering what is permissible for couples who are able to experience sexual climax but cannot comfortably have penetration.
0: Bless you, brother, for that honest question, and there is a clear answer to that question. There are a few nuanced details that you might want to read about in Chapter 5 of Good News About Sex and Marriage. We'll have that link in the show notes. But here here is the short answer. The man's seed belongs only in the garden. That's where a man's seed belongs. If full penetration is not possible, perhaps less than full penetration is possible. Um, But again, the seed belongs in the garden. And why is that? Because as soon as you justify placing the male seed anywhere but in the wife's garden then any and all manner to sexual climax can be justified. Mm. There is a purpose, there is a goal, there is an end to sexual climax. The purpose, the goal, the end of sexual climax is to participate in the Trinitarian mystery, which is the mystery of eternal generation. Mm. God is not sexual, but our sexuality Analogously, as John Paul II properly outlines in his Theology of the Body, analogously, we see in the union of man and woman in one flesh, we see the analogy of this eternal generation. And when we seek willfully sexual climax, I'm speaking here specifically of the male climax. When you seek that climax in a way that does not respect the proper end, which is generation, in other words, when you, your seed is deposited anywhere other than the garden, to put it delicately, you're not respecting that end. And you are saying, I want this pleasure without truly imaging that mystery of the eternal generation. It's the same reason contraception is wrong. It's the same reason mutual masturbation, or solitary masturbation, is wrong. We are activating the generative power, but not allowing it to achieve its possible end. So again, there are, there are a few more specifics you might want to take a look at in my book, Good News About Sex and mm-hmm. Marriage. Um, it's a little too delicate maybe to be talking about in a podcast, but it's all there in the book. But that is the principle. It doesn't mean, if if really and truly there is no possibility of planting the seed in the garden, again to put it delicately, it does not mean that a husband and a wife cannot express intimate affection, caresses, kisses, uh, but they should not be seeking to experience sexual climax unless the marital embrace is is possible. That's, that's the truth of the matter, and it's not just some rigoristic set of rules. It's it's inviting us to live in the image in which we are made. It's inviting us really and truly to become, as we always say at the end of our show, to become the men and women that we are. And who are we? We are men and women made in the image and likeness of God. And each of us is indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable. We're meant to be living that image out. That's what the marital embrace really and truly is, an invitation to live the image of God. And in that way, as you always say, Wendy, to become what you are. There it is. West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.